Lauren. Yeah, I uh, moved the podium today because, one, I like to be closer to you, you know, and two, we've got some things that we're going to show you up on the screen today, and they're going to be on these screens, but um, I'm, a, I'm a mover, I like to point, um, all these things. We're starting a new series today uh, called Home Run Life, and we're looking at this idea of what if there is a pattern to life that God has put throughout the Scriptures. Now, there's not a formula in the Scripture. There's not a formula like, okay, if you do this, this, and this, then automatically this will happen. But we see all throughout the Bible that people live their life in certain ways and certain things happened. And so we're going to look at a number of Old Testament stories through this series. But first, I I was going to tell you, when I was a kid, I played baseball a lot. I loved baseball. I was always on the all-star team or the team that went to the city series. And then my parents, we went on vacation and I would call my coaches. Uh, You know, I would would put the the quarters in and call my coaches and say, how do we do today, coach? And, And I loved baseball. And I had these coaches that, that would stay with me. These two coaches in particular, from t-ball all the way up to high school, they were consistently a part of my life. These coaches always spoke into our baseball playing. Even if I wasn't on their team, they spoke into it. I remember one year, we were the best team that there was on the field. We, we had the best team. And we went to this, the, we, we should have won horribly, like not horribly, but terrifically. We should have won like a billion to zero. We played the worst team that there was. And we got blown out. We went in there with big heads. We were missing throws. We were missing catches. We were swinging at balls way out of the strike zone. We just played like the Bad News Bears. We were terrible. And so what did my coaches do? The next day, they took us into practice, and they didn't make us run laps. We were scared. We would have to just run laps the entire practice. But what they did was an entire practice on catching and throwing. And then the next practice, an entire practice of hitting off the tees. And then the next practice, rolling balls to each other. We, thought, we felt like we were three. We were like, come on, we hit us the balls. We went, come on, let's have a better practice here. And they said, no, you guys need to work on the fundamentals again because you stunk the other day. You thought you were way better than you should have thought. You went out way too strong. You thought that your level was here, but you were playing down here. You need to work on the fundamentals. I find that so many times in Christianity following Jesus, that is where we are at sometimes. See, the fundamentals was this pattern of teaching us to play baseball that worked. So that when we had this practice, we were just throwing balls. The idea was the person had to put their mitt right here and you had to throw it right to their mitt every single time. Every single time. And the coaches would watch you. And literally all day long at practice, that's all that we did. So that when the ball was hit to us, and you dove for the ball, and you got up and threw it to first base, boom, it hit them every single time. There was a practice where all we did was fly balls. I swear my eyes were just stinging from the sun that day. Even with blocking the sun with your glove, it still was tough. But there is this pattern called the fundamentals of baseball that helps you play well. I went to a, a Dodger game this last year, and, you know, the Dodgers played great this year. They played great baseball. And we were listening to the radio up to that Dodger game, and they were saying, this should be an easy win. And by the third inning, it was like 6-0 to zero Diamondbacks. And we were, just, <laughs> we were just cracking up because they missed the fundamentals of baseball that day. Now, a lot of other days, they did great. But that day, they missed the fundamentals. How many times in life do we miss the fundamentals of life? 
I think that if we were to go through there, the Bible, we would see that there are fundamental patterns to life. So flip with me if you have your Bibles. We're going to be in Romans 12 in the beginning, and then we're going to be all through the book of Genesis, Joseph's story. That starts in chapter um, 37. We're going to be all through Joseph's story today in the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, flip to the book of Genesis. But Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, and it's up on the screen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Interesting that Romans 12 says that there is a pattern of this world. Somehow the scriptures and the, the biblical authors tend to recognize that there are these patterns of doing life that we all have. Some are good, some are bad. So what are some of the the patterns of this world? Maybe trusting in ourselves that we could do all things. Trusting in our money. Going out too strong for results. Maybe it's the desire for the best and the newest stuff. Maybe it's succeeding at the expense of others. Maybe it's doing things just to make yourself happy rather than doing things to help others. Maybe it's fulfilling your own sexual needs versus living a life in what God has called you to live in in marriage and in your relationship. There's a pattern to this world. And Romans reminds us that not to fall victim to these patterns. Because this is just the normal way that the world talks. This is just the normal way that the world thinks. There's nothing odd about it when you go out into the world. There's nothing weird about this pattern. This is just normal. It's normal life now. And so Romans reminds us, be careful about falling into the pattern of the world and to renew our minds. And so one of the things we're going to do today is we're going to look at this pattern, what we believe is God's pattern. So we're going to put this graphic up on the TV where we're going to look at running the bases. So obviously we got home plate, first base, second base, and third base. And what we're going to look at at home plate, and we're gonna, today we're going to look at all of these. And then in the following weeks, we're going to look at specifically home plate, then first base, second, third base, and then coming back home again. So f- home plate is dependence. In the physical world, growing up means growing less dependent. You actually become more mature as you're less dependent on your parents. Does that make sense? As you get older, the more and more you do not need, you know, the money or the shelter or the housing from your parents, and you grow up, you become more mature. In Christianity, the idea, here, go ahead and Becky and throw the first one, dependence. First, uh, uh, we have to connect, and that's winning in dependence. So number one is, in our physical world, we have to grow more mature um, by growing more independent. That's in the physical world. But in the spiritual world, it's actually opposite. We grow more mature by becoming more dependent on God. So physical world, maturity grows when we become less dependent on folks, on our parents. In the spiritual world, maturity grows when we become more dependent on God. We're going to hit on this in a big way today and next week. The reason being, if we don't win here, this whole idea of dependence, then the rest of life would just be messed up. 
We're going to go through that. First base, character. So as you connect and, and, and win dependence, then you run to first base and you got to win in the area of character. As we grow more dependent on the Lord, then we can grow and win from within. The quality of um, our relationships will always... Let me repeat this again. Sorry, let me start over there. The quality of our relationships will never consistently rise above the quality of our character. So the quality of our relationships will never rise above the quality of our character. If we want to do well with relationships in life then we need to develop strong character. You've heard this word character out of my mouth probably thousands of times up on stage because it is so important. Once we learn to be dependent on God, then we could learn to develop good character. And so much so when the battles come, because they will, when the character temptations come to just skim a little bit off the top, when the character temptation comes just to lie a little bit, or when the character temptation comes to to just pull back and let somebody else take the blame, when that character temptation comes, we'll be formed in, in solid character and we'll know what to do. The next one is community. Do you like that? I hit the TV and it turned. It was perfect timing. Okay, the, the second base is community. As we grow in this area of community, our, our relationships will become richer. So many of us experience broken relationships in life. And a lot of times, it's not because we're running the bases the right way. It's because we're running the bases the wrong way. And we're going to cover that a little bit today. And then third base is results or competency. We have to be the best that we could be in life. And that's what it looks like to round third base, to win in results. Third base is when we really start seeing God move in a powerful way in our life. And then, of course, when you um, do this right, you'll consistently live in this pattern. And see, I find this everywhere in the Bible. All, a bunch of Old Testament characters, a bunch of New Testament characters have gone through this. I mean, Peter, David, the list goes on. But today we're going to look at the story of Joseph. So flip with me to Genesis chapter 37. We're actually going to cover quite a bit today in this story. Joseph is one of my favorite characters in the Bible just because his life spans from, we, we see in Scripture, all the way from age 17. An early young kid is when this story starts. And we see it all over the place. So Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11. We're going to get a good intro into his life. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph was a young man of 17 when tending the flocks with his brothers and the sons of Biliah and the sons of Zippiah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said, listen to the dream I have had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up, right, um, rose upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? 
And then they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing to me. When he told his father as well, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept all of this in mind. So here we have a 17-year-old kid in the height of arrogance. I mean, actually verbalizing what all 17-year-olds think. That the whole world revolves around them. The sun, the moon, the stars all bow to them, right? When I was 17, I thought that. I still kind of think that. I need to change that, obviously. No, but all 17-year-olds. So this kid is living in the height of arrogance. First of all, an ornate robe should have been for the oldest son. And yet, Israel or Jacob favored Joseph and he made them this long ornate robe. It would have looked a little bit probably like a bathrobe. It would have come down and come come down long. And the colors would have been ornate and it would have been difficult to come by and, and therefore very expensive and very costly. And it's a public display that I love him more than all of you. Have any of you ever been jealous of your siblings? I love him more than I love you. I always tell my kids, maybe I shouldn't do this, but I've got this long-range plan of when I die, so I'll tell you real quick. I always tell them that I love you the most. I I know this is bad. I tell each one of them I love you the most. And, And don't tell your sisters. Or don't tell your brother. And then when I die, I'm gonna write them all a note that says, um, I know this is morbid. I don't even know why I'm telling you guys this. I'm going to write them all a note that says, um, you know, please, I'm going to write them all a note that that says, honey or son, I loved you the most. And then I'm going to have Desiree ask them, this is assuming I die before Desiree, I'm going to have Desiree ask them to read the note in front of everybody else. And then they're all going to laugh because they all have the same note, right? No? Okay, anyways. You guys don't think that's funny? This is like an 80-year plan. You guys have to think in the future. It's going to be funny. Mark my words. In 80 years, somebody's going to laugh about that. (sighs) Got to start them early. But Joseph had these two dreams, that the world revolved around him. That his brothers and sisters revolved around him. He lived at the height of arrogance. And so his brothers hated him. They literally hated him. There was this sibling rivalry. rivalry, And you have to remember, in Israel, to be the first son, to be the firstborn, was a sacred position. It was absolutely sacred. And it's no wonder that Jacob wouldn't honor that as much because he was not technically the firstborn, and he stole his birthright. So his father stole the birthright. But it was a sacred position to be the firstborn. And so he... um, he honors one of his youngest sons, gives him this ornate robe. His brothers hate him. And what do his brothers do? If you go further into the story, we don't have time to read all of it today, but he was thrown into his cistern. They plotted to kill him, but they didn't. Reuben saved him. He was sold into slavery. He was chased from Potiphar's house where he was serving as a slave. Or he ran from Potiphar's house. We're going to go over that a little bit today too. And then he was thrown in jail for a few years, separated from his family. Joseph lived a horrible, horrible first few years of his life. He had to run for his life, literally being thrown out. 
But what I want to look at today in Joseph's life, Joseph's life is when did he finally win in this area of dependence on God? And we can see this in a very specific way if we chart his dreams or the way that he responds to dreams. Now let me show you this way. I'm just going to go over for you. I'm not actually sure. If, I don't remember if we put these on the screen, but we may have. Genesis 37 verses 5 through 9. Do we have that, Becky? Okay, and I bolded some of these so that you could see what I'm talking about here. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Listen to this dream I had, he says. And then go down all the way to verse 8. They asked, do you intend to reign over us? And then in verse 9, he said, listen, I had another dream. He's very arrogant about these dreams. And then the cupbearer and Baker, um, when Joseph is in prison, they both have dreams. And they talk to Joseph when he's in prison. And so Genesis chapter 40, verse 8, says this. We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Tell me your dreams. He acknowledges God in this, but then he goes, but, but tell me. I could, I could hook you up. Tell me. And then later on, Pharaoh has dreams. And Joseph is called before Pharaoh to, to interpret these dreams. And so Genesis, um, and, and by the way, this is a 28-year-old Joseph. So the first one's a 17-year-old Joseph. This is a 28-year-old Joseph. And when he's before Pharaoh, he's now about uh, 30, <coughs> excuse me, about 30 years old. So Genesis 41 Verse 16. So Pharaoh uh, says to Joseph, I had this dream, no one can interpret it. And he says, this is what Joseph says, I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answers he desires. Joseph had to finally come to a place in his life where he had to admit, I cannot do it. Every other time it's, tell me your dream. I'll do it for you. Give it to me. I'm so competent, I could do it myself. Give it to me. I had this dream. Guess what? And now, finally, when he's 30 years old, he has to admit before Pharaoh, I cannot do it. He finally had to get to a place in his life where he fully surrendered to God. And this is in Joseph's life where he fully became dependent. God's power did not work through Joseph in a mighty way until after this moment. Sure, God was with him, and sure, good things happened, but then all of a sudden, after this, he becomes number two in the kingdom. He becomes number two in command. God had to get Joseph into a position in his life where he could use him. Sometimes we go through hard times in life. We go through difficulties. Maybe God is getting you to this position where you simply say, I cannot do it but God can do it. Maybe God is getting you into that position. Only, was when God, only when God is at the center of our lives can he work through us in the way that he intends. Let me say that one more time because it's really important. Only when God is at the center of our lives can he work through us in the way that he intends. God wants to rule through us with divine authority and power. But to do that, he must first know that he's on the throne of our hearts. 
Does that make sense? He wants to rule through us with his own authority, with his own power. He wants to let the floodgates loose in your life, but he wants to make sure that he's on the throne of your heart first. Because if he's not on the throne of your heart, then you'll probably end up running the bases the wrong way. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. In Joseph's journey to full dependence on God, he became a conduit through which God could release his power and authority. This is why dependence is so huge. Because when you win here first, in this area of dependence, you become the kind of person that God can and will naturally use in his great and glorious kingdom. See, pride is actually the opposite of dependence, and God wants to break us of that. Pride asserts our independence, our perceived right to everything. Whereas God wants us to surrender and submit that to him so that we could be dependent on him. Our feelings of self-importance and our belief that we are at the center of the universe have to die. Maybe you've had dreams where literally the sun and the moon and the stars all bow down to you. You've had dreams of, dreams of grandeur and where, where you, maybe you're on front of stage. This is a common pastoral problem. There's thousands of people and you're up on stage and you're the hero. That has to die. Maybe you have dreams of where you're the hero and everybody cheers for you. That has to die. See, Joseph's own dreams in his life had to die before God could make them a reality. And it, it, it hurts to let dreams die. It hurts to let dreams go. But if we're fully dependent on God, then we have this realization and this understanding that God is going to do what God does, and that's great and fine with us. This is so important, this whole idea of dependence, because God's eyes are forever scanning the earth, looking for the kind of person whose heart is so surrendered and so submissive to the Lord so that he can use that person in a powerful way whether it's leading kingdom movements or whether it's, it, it's, it's simply helping a neighbor find Jesus. God is looking for that kind of surrendered and dependent heart, the kind of heart that proclaims, I cannot do it, but God can. God is looking for that heart. So that's what it looks like to win the dependence base. And then the second, first base, the second step, but first base, is winning the character battle. So flip with me to Genesis 39. Now, in the middle of, of Joseph's captivity, when he's still a slave, one of the things is dependence is a growing thing. It's not like all of a sudden one day you accept Jesus and you're like, oh, I'm living fully dependent on God. This is something that you need to grow at. It's not something that happens quick. That's why I like Joseph's story because it shows over a span of years that he finally was dependent on God. And that's like my story, that's probably your story too. That over a span of time, you finally release that over to the Lord. But now Joseph is in the middle of captivity. He hasn't fully become dependent yet, but he's got this character battle that comes up against him. So Genesis 39, we're going to look at verses 6 through 12. And all these stories, by the way, I mean, this covers multiple chapters of the Bible. I would highly encourage you to read Joseph's story carefully. It's so interesting. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. 
And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house except everything that he owns and has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So when his boss's wife propositioned him, when this character thing came up, he ran. He fled. He, he got out of Dodge. But think about this temptation for a minute. Why, why not indulge? I mean, he must have been thinking, my brother's betrayed me. My father thinks I'm dead. No one really knows me. No one knows I'm here. My chance of getting married and, and, and having dreams of my own are dead because I'm a slave. I might as well satisfy myself. I mean, wouldn't most people think that? Isn't that kind of the pattern of this world? I might as well just satisfy myself here. But instead, because he's got this growing dependence on God, do you see what he said here? Why sin against God? This isn't worth it. He wins this character battle by running away from Potiphar's house. Now, of course, Potiphar's wife is probably embarrassed by this, and she, said, and she has his robe now, and so she makes these accusations, and he gets thrown into prison. By the way, this is an accusation that normally you'd be killed for, especially if you were a slave. Potiphar knew his wife. He knew what she was capable of. He knew her character. So there's probably good reason why Joseph was not killed, but simply thrown into prison. But we face these character battles all the time. Can we, Becky, can we put this slide up? Yeah. Um, actually, can we put all the bases up again, if, if you can? I want to talk for a second about running the bases backwards. This is something that we tend to do a lot. Right out of college, a lot of times, we want to go straight for the money, right? We want to go straight for, for getting the big job. We want to go straight for the promotion. We want to go straight for getting results. The, the, the house, the wife, the kids, the boat, the, um, whatever it is, we want to go straight for that. And did you notice that when people are young and they go out for this, typically they end up ruining all these other things first. They typically go here and then ruin relationships and then have ethical problems. That's the typical pattern when we chase after results first. See, Joseph ran the other way. He ran straight to, into winning in character and having a, a, a solidly formed character. And this is what we need to do. We need to form our characters as in like the image of Christ. And then secondly, we need to, to have good relationships with others. And then only then will we see results, good results that we're proud of. But far too often the world tells us that you need to run after this right out of the gate. And what I've noticed is that people that run so hard towards results, whether it's money, fame, whatever it is, end up having problems in these other areas because they've not first taken the time to win within with their own character. 
and a two to win with others. That's the danger with running the bases backwards. Your relationships blow up. You're more likely to fall into temptations. You're more likely to say, I deserve this, and so I am just going to get it. Let's go to the next one. Winning with others. See, Joseph now, we're at the part of the story where he, he, went, he won the character battle. He now has stood before Pharaoh and said, I cannot do it, but only God can do it. And now his brothers come back into the story. That broken, hurtful relationship. You know, the guys that threw him into a cistern, the guys who plotted to kill him. His brothers come back into the story. And Joseph was able to summon his whole family to Egypt. And he did this with stories of wheat and gold coins. And you'll have to look at that yourself, but it's a great story. Joseph could have done whatever he wanted to do with his brothers. He could have had them put to death. I mean, literally now his dreams are coming true. That his brothers would have to bow before him because he is the ruler of the land. But instead, this happens. Genesis 45, verses um, 3 through 7. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. And this is when he reveals himself to his family. Now, there's a couple other instances of meeting his family before this. And they did not know it was Joseph. But Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Why were they terrified? They just, they tried to kill him a few years earlier. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one who sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save your lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. See, because he's won that character battle, because he's won that dependence battle, he is now able to have this relationship with his brothers to say, listen, he now has it in perspective. Look at all that I went through. And you guys did this, but it was actually God prompting you to do this. And and, and now I'm here and I could actually save all of Israel because of this. Because you sold me into slavery. God actually didn't, you didn't sell me into slavery. God sent me ahead of you. It's an entire perspective shift in how we look at what God is doing in our lives. Because he won dependence, because he won character, he was now able to look at his brothers in the light of forgiveness and restoration. In the light of what is God doing around here. So many times we have these frustrations with family, we have these frustrations with people, coworkers, whatever that may be. But one of the things that I've noticed is when you begin to, to say, I cannot do it, but God can do it. When you begin to flee from temptation and, and have a solid character, then you begin to see people the way God sees people. And let's keep going to winning results. So once we've connected with God, and let's go ahead and put the graphic back up, Becky, the, all, the whole gra- graphic. Once we've connected with God in our area of dependence, once we've won the character battle, once we've done well with community and won with others, then we go to this winning results. And what does this look like in our life? 
Now, there was too many scriptures here to cite a single one, so I just kind of compiled a bunch of them, and I wanted to share with you um, one of the, the constant things that happened in Joseph's life. First, what were a couple tangible results? One, he was the number two guy in the kingdom of Egypt. He saved his entire family. I mean, this guy got results. He stored up food. So much food, by the way, that the Bible says that they stopped counting because it was beyond the ability to count how much food that they saved when there was a famine in the whole land. So Joseph did well. He won results. But all the way through his story, when you you find this line that says, the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. The Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, that's not me. The Lord clearly doesn't love me, and he's not giving me success in everything that I do. But you have to notice that he had to go through 13 years here in this area right here, and then another, a total of about 23 to 25 years of not seeing his family and having a difficult time before he got to that place because he finally surrendered himself to the Lord before he even got to that place. The Lord was with him and gave him success in everything that he did. It took a total of 24 years for the vision that God birthed within Jacob to come to pass. But he had to have dependence first. He had to have character second. He had to win in community, and then finally that vision could be birthed. Maybe God has been birthing a vision within you for something. I don't know what that is, but maybe it needs to be surrendered to God first. Maybe there's some character things that you need to work on. Maybe there's some relationships that you need to foster before all that can happen. Maybe you're here today and you go, oh man, I've been running the bases backwards. I've been going after results my whole life. I've been just going after this. It's like, got to get the money, got to get the money, got to get the money, got to get the big things, got to get the family, got to get whatever. But when you first go after character, all that stuff will come later. And because when you have the character that's formed, like in our generosity series, we talked about this, this character formed of giving then the results are going to look very different than the pattern of this world. The results are going to look just diametrically different than the pattern of this world. I want to invite you to pray today. We're going to close this sermon out with, with just simply a, a prayer. And, and maybe you go back to that one scripture where, where Joseph says to Pharaoh, I cannot do it. Maybe you've never verbalized those words before God. You know, in my house, we weren't really allowed to say can't. We, we always had, we had this can-do attitude. And I love that about my formation as a child, that we could do all that we put our minds to. But there's just some times in our lives that we need to realize. And, and, and that is true. You can do a lot of things you put your minds to. But there's these times in our life that we just simply have to realize, God, you're in charge and I'm not. God, I can't do some things. I want to go back to that thought I gave you earlier is God on the throne of your heart. He wants to rule through you, but he has to know. He has to know that he is on the throne of your heart first. He wants to rule through you. 
He wants to do amazing things through you. He wants his kingdom to come literally through you. You are God's plan. He wants you. Do you have the kind of heart where God is sitting on that throne? Let's pray. Jesus, as we think about all that you've done through Joseph's life, Lord, as we think about just this, you brought him to a place where he'd been in slavery, he'd been forsaken by his family, he'd been kicked out. God, you brought him to this place where he was in a dungeon, in a pit for two years. Lord, you brought him to a place where he was standing before royalty and he simply had to acknowledge, I can't do it. God, that's us today. There's so many of us here, we've, we've been running the bases backwards, we've been going after the wrong things and, and, and you just have led me and you led us to a spot where we simply need to say, Lord, I can't do this thing without you. God, I need you in my life. God, I need to hear from you. I need you on the throne of my heart. God, do whatever you have to do to get me off that throne of my heart. And Lord, put yourself there. God, we pray that you would live on the thrones of the hearts in this room this morning. Lord, that you would use each one of us to do incredible things. God, that you would send us to do more incredible things. Lord, you you said when when your son was on earth in in John 15, one of the things that you said, John 14, was that us, your disciples, will do even greater things than you. And God, we believe that. But we know the reality that you need to be right here. You need to be on the throne of our hearts first. So we give ourselves to you. Lord, if there's people here today who need to simply get on their knees, if there's people that need to come and pray, God, if there's this time of you simply just need to reach out to God and say, Lord, I am yours, pray that you would do that right now. And if there's anybody here who simply needs to say, Jesus, I need to come to know you for the first time today. I, I need, I've been too reliant and dependent on myself. Or I need to renew that relationship with you. I just want to lead you through this prayer right now. Just pray this before God. Lord, I surrender myself to you. God, I pray and I I believe what you did for the cross on me and for me. I believe that you've forgiven my sins and that you want me to walk in brand new life with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.